Well, good morning. How are we doing? Morning. Fantastic. Uh, let's go Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2. Um, so my name is Josh Story, and I have the privilege uh, of serving as uh, the teaching pastor here. Um, but I'm actually a what's called a bivocational pastor, which means that, like a lot of you, I have a job in the marketplace, and then I just kind of teach and preach on the side. And so uh, when I'm not doing Fort Worth Bible Church things, I actually work in the tech industry, and I help tech companies with their messaging, and I write speeches and stuff like that. And one of the things that I've noticed the longer that I work in tech is that anytime a new piece of technology comes out, and people are just so excited about it, and they want the world to know about this new technology, I always ask myself, you know, what, why, why does this matter, right? Like, how is this technology going to change people's lives? And I get the same answer every single time. The number one answer, when something new hits the scene, they say, this is going to save people time. I go, okay. They go, no, 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 like, like really, like this is going to save people time. This is going to allow people to get their lives back, right? It doesn't matter if this is like a medical device or HR software, right? Like it saves people time. That is the beauty of technology. And this promise has actually been in the works for a long time. So example, in 1967, a Senate subcommittee was told that by 1985, Americans would work for 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Does anyone in this room work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year? Probably not, right? Because we laugh because we understand that as technology increases, the more technology we have, the more advanced we are, we actually have less time, not more time. Right? That, that, that as a, a result, we are now busier than ever. And so what happens is that we look around and our culture is just busy. Like busyness is just, it's the air we breathe. It is a way of life. But we are a very busy culture for, for really two primary reasons. One, our culture rewards busyness. Right? Um, there is a, a status attached to busyness. Right? We oftentimes wear busyness as a badge of honor. And so we fill our calendars to the brim because somewhere along the way we have come to believe that the busier you are, the more important you must be. And so we, we take pride in the fact that, oh, I'm swamped, man, I slept like four hours last night. I can't, oh man, I mean, I could get dinner, but maybe in like, I don't know, 2025, how does that sound, right? Like, I mean, like we, like we just wear it as a badge of honor because our culture elevates it. We reward busyness. But our culture also penalizes rest. And I think this is actually more important. Our culture penalizes rest. I uh, read an article in Entrepreneur Magazine a while ago, and they polled um, a bunch of people based on their views of uh, PTO, paid time off, vacation days, all that stuff, right? And they asked employees, and 96% of employees, and if you're not great with math, that's almost everybody, 96% uh, of employees <laughs> said that they believe that taking their pay time off is healthy and needed. They're like, yeah, 100% healthy, got, got to. And then they asked those same people, how many of you are actually going to do it? And 41% said they had no intention of using their pay time off. And everyone kind of stops and goes, well, <laughs> wait, what? Like, you just said this is healthy and needed, yet a, like, a large chunk of you have no intention to do it. And they asked them why, and they said, well, because I, I can't. I, I just feel like, like I can't stop, I feel like I can't take time, and, and that checks out. Um, in 2018, 768 million vacation days went unused. 
That's like 2.1 million years worth of time, right? But what makes things crazier is then, then they went to the uh, employers and they asked them and checked out 40% of the employers so that they view, view employees who use their paid time off as less productive, less successful, and less dedicated. Which means statistically, 40% of the people in this room work for a person who will think less of you for taking a vacation. 40% of us work for someone who, who views us as lesser than if we take time to rest. And this is the culture we live in. We are a culture that is exhausted and tired and burned out because we feel as if we cannot stop. And to make matters worse, some like, it gets worse? <laughs> it does. Um, to make matters worse, our, our, our culture has, has no solution to it. Um, there's an article that came out a few years back uh, called Why Millennials Are the Burnout Generation. And whether you believe millennials are the burnout generation or not, I thought that this, uh, this conclusion was really telling. It says, it says this. It says, you don't fix burnout by going on a vacation. You don't fix it through life hacks like Inbox Zero or by using a meditation app for five minutes in the, in the morning or doing Sunday meal prep for the entire family or starting a bullet journal. You don't fix it by reading a book. You don't fix it with anxiety baking or the Pomodoro technique or overnight oats. The problem with holistic, all-consuming burnout is that there's no solution to it. It's not a problem I can solve, but it's a reality I can acknowledge, a paradigm through which I can understand my actions. How depressing is that? That in a culture of people that are exhausted and burned out and tired, there's no solution. I just have to recognize and understand that this is just the way life is. That is so depressing. Unless there is a solution. So, so what are the odds that, that maybe there is a solution? It wouldn't be the first time that our culture has been wrong about something. Right? <laughs> and we would argue but there is a solution, and that solution is called Sabbath. Sabbath is something that, that is designed as a practice to help allow us as followers of Jesus to experience the rest and the fulfillment and the rejuvenation that our God intends for us. So over the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through um, what is Sabbath, how do we Sabbath, what prevents us from Sabbath things, so that we may be able to connect to Jesus by doing the things that he did, and not just grow in our faith, but also experience a, a, a deep, soul-satisfying rest that we desperately need. So today, I'm going to walk us through what actually is Sabbath. So let me give you a working definition of what uh, we'll be talking about. So Sabbath is a weekly, a weekly rhythm woven into the fabric of creation where we simply take a day to stop. That's it. It's a weekly rhythm woven into the fabric of creation where we simply take a day to stop. And we get this from Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Let me read this again for us. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, there, there's three things that we see in this text about Sabbath, what makes Sabbath unique. And so I want to break them down for us. And the first is this. 
Um, Sabbath, first and foremost, is about stopping. Sabbath is about stopping. Um, this word for rested here, that, that God rested, um, is a, a form of the Hebrew word Shabbat, which is the word that, our English word for Sabbath. Um, and Shabbat means to stop or to cease. It's a really simple concept, right? It said that, that God created the world, then on the seventh day, he stopped. He ceased. He Shabbated, if you will, right? And so, first and foremost, that's, that's what Sabbath is about. It is finding time to just stop. Now, I'm going to be completely honest. This is probably going to be the hardest part about Sabbath for a lot of us. It's the stopping piece. Because for a lot of us, we have come to believe that we simply cannot stop. That we believe that if we were to spend a day not working, if we were to spend a day not studying, if we were to spend a day where we didn't respond to an email, best case scenario, we fall behind. Worst case scenario, the world implodes. <laughs> right? We laugh, but if we're honest, we believe that to be true, right? That, I mean, can't stop, won't stop. I mean, that is a cultural, like, moniker for us, right? Like, we just believe that is true. Like, we can't stop. And so why Sabbath is so important is not just that it provides the rest that we crave and need, but also it is a, a spiritual formation foundation. Because what we realize is that Sabbath is also an act of surrender, it's an act of surrender. It shows us that, that we can take a day off, uh, put our hands up, and learn and trust and believe that our God is in control. In his book, The Sabbath, uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel has this great line. He says this. Um, he says, He who wants to enter the holiness of the day must first lay down the profanity of clattering commerce, of being yoked to toil. He must say farewell to manual work, and learn to understand that the world has already been created and will survive without the help of man. In other words, God did not need you when he created the world. And he will be just fine without you for a day. Okay, so first and foremost, this is about stopping. In a world where we cannot stop, or at least we believe that we cannot stop, this is an act of surrender to say, I'm going to trust that God is in control. And so I'm going to stop. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. The Sabbath, Sabbath is also about delighting. Um, when, when people read this text, I've, I've often heard people ask, okay, so, so does God get tired? Right? If God created everything on the seventh day, he stopped and he rested, is that because God gets tired? Well, theologically, we know that we serve a God that doesn't grow weary. He does not faint. Our God doesn't get tired. So, so the question is, why did he rest? And what's happening here is that God is not resting as someone who gets tired. He is resting as someone who creates something incredible and sits back to delight in the work of his hands, to marvel and delight in what he has created. Has anyone in this room ever successfully built a piece of Ikea furniture? <laughs> yeah? Is there a better feeling in the world than that? Right? It is unnecessarily complicated. So when I successfully build a piece of Ikea furniture, I want to invite over all of my friends, throw, throw fillets on the grill, and just look at it and be like, can you look at, look at those drawers? They're not wonky. Oh, my gosh. That's even like, it, like, like there's something about I want to sit back and delight in the work of my hands because it's awesome. And in a similar way, that's what God's doing. He, he just created the universe. And he sits back and he delights 
in his creation delights in the work of his hands. And so one of the most beautiful truths about Sabbath is what we get to do is we get to follow suit. We get to sit back and delight in the work of his hands as well, right? So we get to sit back and delight. Um, another way to think about this is there's a theological term called common grace. And common grace is the idea that we get to um, experience the kindness and the goodness and the generosity of God in the common mundane things in life, right? Um, and that in experiencing those common things, it actually rolls up into worship where we stand in awe and we marvel at the goodness of God because of just these common graces in our life. So my favorite example of this is taste buds. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but our God could have created us in a way where we fuel and nourish our bodies without the joy of flavor. Yet our God in his kindness to us is like, I'm going to give you the ability to, to fuel yourself and to nourish yourself while tasting flavors, while smelling aromas, while getting to experience this joy, right? Like, like have you ever had like a fresh strawberry? Not, not like an out-of-season Kroger strawberry, but I'm, I'm talking like a, a fresh in-season farmer's market Pacific Northwest style strawberry. When you take a bite, it's magic. I mean, a strong source of antioxidants and vitamin C that tastes like dessert. I mean, that is God. That's the goodness of God right there, right? And so what Sabbath does, what it allows us to do is to take a moment and delight in all of the common graces and all of the things that God has created for our enjoyment. So, so maybe that means a, a slow morning where you get to sip coffee as opposed to slamming it on the way to work. Maybe it means slowing down and curling up and getting lost in a good book. Maybe it's a, a long run or a long bike ride along the river. Maybe it's a, a, a long, slow, lazy dinner with really good friends where you have fantastic food and great drink and you just laugh for hours. Like the kind of laughing that kind of like hurts your, your core a little bit, right? Um, like, like that is part of what Sabbath is designed to do. It's not just stopping. It's stopping in order to delight and allowing that delight to lead to worship where we marvel at the goodness of our God, at the kindness of our God. Now, one of the things that, that I think as believers we have to kind of come to terms with is that this is okay. That, that a day of delighting, it's actually a spiritual thing. I think that for a lot of us, that, that, that feels gluttonous, right? It feels hedonistic. It feels like, I mean, a whole day of delighting, I mean, that's, that's too much, Right? Yeah, that's the beauty of what our God is doing, right? In fact, um, I love the way that Dan Allender says it. He says this. He says, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. And without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day that we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And the day that we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it, to make it holy, because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. If you are not delighting, you are doing Sabbath wrong. I read in my studies that um, Jewish fathers apparently would, would wake their kids up on the Sabbath with a spoonful of honey. So their kids always associated the Sabbath with the level of sweetness. 
That is part of the beauty of what's happening here is that our God loves us. He's kind and he says, I'm gonna, I want you to stop. Then I want you to delight and remember the sweetness of the Sabbath. But here's the third thing. The Sabbath is also about communing. It's about communing. Verse 3 says that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Fun little Bible fact for you. This is the first time we see the word holy show up in Scripture. The word holy means set apart. It means other than. It means uniquely different. Right? And you notice that, that, that when God declares something holy for the very first time, it's, it's the seventh day. It's the Sabbath day. And now what's, what's really interesting about this is that um, a bunch of the pagan religions of this time also had creation accounts or creation narratives or their sort of understanding or belief of how the world came about. But in every other religion of the world, what their God would do or their deity would do is they would declare a holy place. So there'd be a holy mountain, a holy river, and then they would go build a temple or a shrine. And so if you wanted to commune with that God, you would have to make a pilgrimage to a holy place. But our God doesn't declare a holy place. He declares a holy day. He declares a moment. So if you want to go commune and meet with your God, you don't have to make a pilgrimage to some place. You simply enter into a day that God has woven into our week to stop and meet with our God. We can meet with our God anytime. That's, that's the beauty of our relationship with God. Yet there is something about this day that God has wired to just have these long, uninterrupted moments of communing with God because where else do you have to be? Right? I think that for a lot of us, we might feel a sense of um, spiritual exhaustion or we might feel spiritually dry because what's been happening is we are penciling in moments with God to commune for 15 minutes here or 30 minutes there. And that's fine, right? But like any relationship, if you, if you only commune say, with your spouse or a friend for 15 minutes every couple days, every couple weeks, you're going to feel disconnected. And what this day is designed to do is, yes, we stop, we delight, but then we also just carve out time just to commune, to be in his word, to pray, and to really get some good moments with our God where we can enter into the holiness of this day, set it apart to commune with our God. And this is what Sabbath is, right? I think this is, as far as practices go, this is one of the most amazing, the most life-giving practices that we have, right? And so our challenge uh, to just start off is that we want to challenge you to pick a day um, between now and next week uh, to do these three things, to stop, to delight, and to commute, right? To stop, delight, and commute. Now, now I get that. This might be a drastic thing for us, a lot of our schedules, right? The, the idea of a 24-hour period where we Sabbath might be a lot. Um, baby steps, right? So maybe it's not a day. Maybe it's a six-hour chunk. Maybe it's a four-hour chunk. Maybe it's an hour. You find one hour between now and next week to, to stop and to delight and to commune. And what I would imagine you will find is that this practice is going to bring a level of rejuvenation that your soul is longing for. Um, when, when I first implemented this, it was, uh, it was November of 2019. Um, I remember exactly where I was when I first started studying it. And I was in a, a season of life where I was really tired, really exhausted, really burn, burned out. I didn't have a lot going on that I was look, looking forward to. And I, I thought, this is, this is kind of radical. <laughs> like a 
whole day where I can just kind of delight and stuff. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. And I did, and it was, it was incredible. And so the next week came, and I was like, well, I'm going to do this again. And so I did it again. And, and a few weeks in, a friend of mine walked, walked up to me at work and says, what happened to you? And I go, what? He goes, what happened to you? Go, what, do you what do you mean? He goes, you're smiling more. You're happier. You're like a lot more engaging to talk to. Um, your sermons, like you're passionate again. Like I hadn't seen you passionate on stage in a long time. Like, like the, there's like something about you changed. You have so much more life. And that was the moment that it hit me that Sabbath did something in my soul. Because that's how God has created it to work, right? That God has created, he wove it into the fabric of creation that one day a week we stop, we delight, and we commune because we need it. And in that, we don't just get to do what Jesus did. We get to connect to our Father in ways that just bring life and bring joy. Um, let me close with this. Um, I want to be clear that, that work is good and work is godly, Right? Um, I think Christians should be the best bosses in the world. We should be the best employees in the world. No one should outwork us in the marketplace. I think we should be on the front lines of creating great art, great film, great music, great business. I mean, we should be at the forefront of all these things because we work as, as unto the Lord. So work is good. It is godly. We should be ambitious, but we are not machines. Our God has not wired us to be machines. He has wired us to work really, really hard for six days, to be excellent for six days, and then take one to stop, to delight, and to commune. And so my hope as we begin this practice as a church, um, that for a lot of us, this is the moment where things really change for us. That if you are in the room and you feel like you are hanging on by a thread, if you are exhausted and tired, that we adhere to the words of Jesus, who last week we read, he says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this is how. This is how we begin to experience the rest that Jesus offers us. So may we go and be people who stop, commune, and delight. Let me pray. God, you are, um, <laughs> you are so kind to us. The fact that we get to serve a God who cares about our soul, who cares about our rest, who cares about um, our exhaustion levels. God, may we be a people that, that have uh, the heart posture where we are willing to, to open our hands even when it feels like there's no way we can stop. And it feels like there is no way for us to, to slow down that we understand that this is an act of surrender. This is an act where we get to open our hands and say, God, you are in control and the world's gonna be just fine without me. And, and so God, in this season, we ask that this be a, a really formative moment for us as a church. We ask that it be a, a moment where we get to experience maybe for the first time what true rest looks like. Not escape, not vacation, not a day off, but true, true rest. <clears throat> And so, God, will you uh, move in this place? We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.